Welcome to the Relationship Workshop. My name is Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity, uh, serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember two hatters, i.e. OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs, are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It Basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of the session. If there's any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full name. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is relationships, and our first speaker is Mitch. Thank you. My name is Mitch. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm also anorexic and bulimic. So uh, they told us to speak a little bit about um, our food and our, what we're doing today with that. But I think what I'm going to do is try to mix that in with relationships. Um, I am nervous. I'll just say that. And I, I try my best to come up here and speak from my heart and not from my head. But um, since we've gotten closer to the convention, my head's come up with some other ideas about what I should say. <laughs> I am literally powerless over what it thinks and what it wants to dwell on for the most part. So uh, I let it ramble, and I try not to. And I try not to glom onto any of it, and try to let it pass. And that's been my exercise lately with that. But uh, so anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to start out by, uh, um, and hopefully the heart will kick in. Um, I want to start out. <clears throat> I came from a family where um, there wasn't a lot of uh, intimacy. There wasn't any real. I see my mother touch my father in a loving way one time. And anything else I seen was hostile or violent or nothing. Just kind of blank, dead kind of uh, emotional kind of feeling between them. Um, it wasn't a healthy household, obviously. Um, somewhere, though, in, in me... Even as a small child, I remember back wanting um, wanting to love and wanting to be loved. And um, I had an idea of what it was, even though I really didn't see it. It wasn't like an intellectual idea. It was an intuitive kind of idea that, or of what love was. And... Um, 
I remember I had a, when I was five, I had a girlfriend. I never asked her to be my girlfriend. She was my girlfriend in my head, you know. Never asked her. And uh, she was my girlfriend for three years. You know, and I would give her, like, these little bottles of perfume and, you know, things like that. It made it kind of obvious that I liked her, but I never asked her to be my girlfriend. She was just my girlfriend. And um, at eight, at three, in, in the third grade, at eight years old, um, she lived on the other block. And I said, hey, I, you know, I waved, seen her over there, and I waved her over. She said she couldn't cross the street because she had to, you know, her mother was going to call her for dinner, so she was told not to cross the street. And I, I said, come on, mom's not going to find out. Come on, come on, come on. So, she got halfway across the street to come over and visit with me, and I went over and snitched on her. Told her mom that she had crossed the street. So at eight years old, I was pushing women out of my life. <laughs> Go figure, right? Um, I wanted it desperately and was afraid of it at the same time. And it was apparent to me at eight years old that there was a problem. At eight, I knew there was a problem. The next girlfriend I had was uh, like fourth or fifth grade or something, and um, we sat next to each other in class. And um, I remember, I, I don't really remember this. I was told this story by her um, years later. Um, it was translated to me or, you know, told from someone else that I had found a ring in the play yard at school. And I went to her and said, <laughs> So obviously my communication skills weren't real great, you know, and and that and she took it. So she's my girlfriend. I never asked her, but you know that was that was she's my girlfriend, and she was my girlfriend for two years, I think fourth and fifth grade, and uh, you know and it didn't get much better than that either. You know, to tell you the truth, um, I really struggled with um, opening up. And, and being honest and, and saying what I wanted or even telling somebody that I liked them. Um, as I got older, um, it, 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 it didn't get a lot easier um, to, to, uh, to do that. Um, basically, I remember reading a book, a book one time and they, in the book, they broke it down into two categories. There was uh, seekers and sots. And seekers were people that actually went out and asked people out, and they seeked the relationship. And then there was the sot, and the sots didn't. And it was up to the seeker to ask the sot out, or the sot wasn't going anywhere. Right? <laughs> and I was, I was, and I stood up. That's me. I'm a sot. Because I never really asked anyone out. I didn't do it. It was uncomfortable. There was too much fear. Too much afraid about being rejected and taking it personal and all that. Blah, 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 blah. So, <clears throat> this is the next thing that's coming up. It's not, um, it's not easy to talk about it in a way. Um, um, and, and I never believed it until recently, but um, 
I was a good looking kid. I was normal size. I, I didn't have a, I, I was never really overweight. Um, because of the anorexia and the bulimia, mostly. Um, and that look of looking normal and being a good-looking young man, uh, I didn't have to seek. Um, women actually asked me out. Um, and um, But I would go out and I would freak out and then I would push him away or I would run or whatever. And it set up a pattern that I did over and over and over and over again. And then as the uh, addiction of compulsive reading took more of my life, um, um, and the bulimia and everything, I was, uh, with, in regards to relationships, what I would do was that, um, I would get into a relationship and because I couldn't handle the emotional um, stuff that would come up around being intimate and being in a relationship, I would eat. And I would eat and I would eat and I would eat and I'd start putting on the weight. And um, I would always get to a certain weight, which was about 25 pounds more than I am right now. And I was never any higher than that. So I know my story doesn't reflect on the outside, many stories, but what was going on inside was just a tremendous amount of feeling of not feeling enough, not feeling uh, like I fit in anywhere I belonged, um, and feeling different, and, um, and and not feeling lovable, and, and I would eat behind that, and the fact that I was in a relationship with somebody caused a tremendous amount of fear and I always felt like I was going to get hurt and um, and I just would get afraid and I would eat and then as I said I'd get to that certain weight and then I would blow up and I would blow up angrily because that's all I seen in my family as well growing up and that's all I knew so I would blow up and leave if they wouldn't go away I, I would leave and um, <clears throat> so that's the other pattern that would come up and I did I can't tell you how many times I did that I can't tell you how many times I and then when I would get out of the relationship I would starve and go to the gym and uh, compulsively go to the gym for anywhere from two and a half to four and a half hours a day five to seven days a week and um, I would hurt myself that way every joint in my body was hurting and I'm paying some of the price for that these days. Um, and I would starve. Uh, I'd go on some stupid fast diet where, you know, you're supposed to drink your breakfast and your lunch and then have a sensible meal. And my sensible meal was a salad, you know. And, uh, and I would lose the weight really quickly. And my friends would look at me like, hey, you know, it's time for you to have a cheeseburger or something, you know. And I was, uh, I'm just getting down to my date bait weight, you know. It's all, that's the way I justified it, you know. I've got to be at my date bait weight. Like, that's going to help, you know. And it was always going to be five more pounds, and then I was going to feel enough. And then five more pounds, and I was going to be enough. And I never, it never, no matter how many of those five pounds I lost, it was, it was never enough, you know. It was never enough. 
eventually someone would ask me out. I would go out with them. I'd be in a relationship with them. It was pretty much first date, you know. And uh, I never got to know them. I never found out if I liked them or if I cared about them or anything. It was like they asked me out. I went out with them. I didn't have enough self-esteem to say no for the most part. And um, it was really a struggle. It was really a struggle. So anyway, and then, of course, I get into this relationship and I would start eating again and then blow up and they'd either leave or I'd leave. And it was just, this is, this is what my life was like. And I desperately wanted wanted this thing called relationships. And at the same time, I was just incapable of having a relationship. It was just incapable. Um, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the necess- any anything like that to keep me from uh, to keep me in a relationship. I didn't have it. It was incapable. And a lot of times I got into places where I was just hopeless. I just got hopeless and said it's not going to work for me. And I would either just run amok um, and and behave in um, sexual ways that um, would uh, could have caused me to, you know, end up with AIDS or something else. And um, that never happened, but I'm grateful for that. But it, it wasn't like that was stopping me from behaving that way because it wasn't about, it really, it, it, I found out later it really wasn't about, it was about trying to fill the hole inside. It was about trying to fill the emptiness. It wasn't really about really being in a relationship. It was about, and when it, and when it wouldn't work, when it didn't fill the hole inside, you know, and then that was all a part of the blowing up too as well. I was disappointed, frustrated, once again hopeless, and then boom, I'm out. Because I always, I don't know where I got this idea because I sure didn't see it in my family. But I had this idea from a small child that if I just met the right person, then everything would be okay. And it was all about meeting the right person. It wasn't about becoming someone who could be in a relationship. It wasn't about becoming someone who loved themselves. It was about the relationship was going to fix me. It was going to fill that hole, and then I was going to be okay, and then I was going to be enough. It wasn't about becoming enough and then finding someone. So anyway, is someone going to let me know? Oh, okay. What's the first time you give me? Ten? Okay. Where am I at? Twelve? Okay. No, I got more. I just wanted to make sure I got. I always got more. Freaking addict, right? Got more. I can tell stories. It's it's just I'm a little nervous about this particular topic and and being open with my being up here with my heart open is not easy. I can come up here and shut my heart down and talk to you from my head and give you all kinds of GIBIs, but that isn't what I came here to do. So it's 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 scary. It's difficult, but this is what I came to do, and um, it's what I want to do. 
actually it's what my heart wants to do and it's starting to take more of a presence in my life than my mind which is a wonderful gift and I owe that to OA as well so anyway this subject um, the topic <clears throat> so anyway I'm not going to tell you how I ended up in OA it's a very odd story it would take too long because <laughs> I didn't think I had a problem but <laughs> you know I don't think any of us really think we have a problem. But I had a problem, and when I was ready to admit it, I, I ended up in OA. I, I got a sponsor, and uh, I didn't get a sponsor who was going to pull any punches either, which was, no, he wasn't soft. He wasn't easy. He was freaking difficult. I wanted to kill him <laughs> a lot, you know. Um, and that was on a good day, you know. I wanted to kill him. Uh, I wasn't happy about being here. I wasn't happy about being absent. I was. It was not fun. It was not fun. There was, okay. There was. A, there was a bit of a pink cloud as far as body image went, because that was kind of like just kind of taken from me for the first five years of being around here. But, um, but it. Uh, but that was about the only pink cloud I had. Everything else was a problem. I wrote. I wrote. I wrote. And my sponsor had me writing, not only out of the workbook on the 12 steps, but he had me doing these 10 steps, which incorporate all the 12 steps um, into a, like a letter to God. And I'm not going to get into that. If you want to know more about that, you can write it in the questions and answers or you can talk to me after the meeting. I don't have a problem with that. Um, and what I basically did was I worked on the workbook. I answered all the questions and I was writing these 10 steps. And I was basically writing these 10 steps every day. I was writing about the anger and the fear and the frustration and the withdrawals from not compulsively overeating and not compulsively exercising and not compulsively starving myself. And um, and I was just learning about who I was as a member of this fellowship because when I looked out, of course, I looked at the differences and I didn't see the similarities. And it was rare that I did see the similarities and mostly it was with the women because most of the guys in this program were way overweight. And there wasn't a lot of guys with anorexia and bulimia. Um, so, but anyway. Um, but I kept coming back, and I kept coming back, and I kept working the steps. And even though it wasn't easy, I kept doing it. And I wrote, 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 and called my sponsor and read these 10 steps to him. And I started getting some recovery. And he, and he suggested that I don't date for about a year. I had to, I had to be a goal weight plus a year of abstinence before I could date. His rules, right? And I'm like, freaking nuts. You know? And he's like, well, you could keep doing what you're doing if it's working for you. Yeah. And you heard what I just told you, right, about my story, so obviously it wasn't working. So... <laughs> And uh, so he had me, you know. I said, okay, all right, all right, I'll listen to you. I'll go, I'll go a year, right? I'll go a year. So then I had to figure out when I got to go away and when my absence started and when we, when a year was going to be. You know, I had it all, the future all planned out. And when I could date, right? And uh, it was about 13 months after all that. And... <clears throat> I got into a disastrous relationship with someone I was involved with before where, like I said, my behavior before was not um, 
anything I would practice today, but I had an affair with her. Uh, she was married, and um, this was the first time we got together, not in abstinence, but it was... Um, so she had gotten divorced, and we hooked up, and um, it was disastrous. And she was my friend for 18 years. I actually been to her house for dinner. I knew her kids, knew her husband. It was, I don't want to get into it all, the details of it, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't a really good thing that I was doing. Um, that, that, but anyway, after, the, after they were divorced, we got together, and um, we tried to have this thing, this thing called a relationship and in abstinence. And it took a lot of writing and it took a lot of uh, uh, not compulsively eating. Um, and uh, it ended up blowing up with her. Um, she's also a member of, of this fellowship, of this fellowship. And she ended up going back out. And, um, and I told her, I said, look, I haven't done all this work to be with somebody who's compulsively eating. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And it ended and um, I haven't spoken to her since, and she hasn't wanted she hasn't wanted any contact with me, so I haven't given her any. I haven't even attempted to contact her. Um, but one of the things the sponsor wanted me to do, and he suggested that I do, was to come up with this thing called a purity of intent. And I got to tell you, that wasn't easy to do either. You know, um, it had it had three categories in a purity of intent, and he told me about. Where he had learned it. He had learned it from somebody in the program that had mentioned that he had a period of intent. And his period of intent was that if he met somebody, like at a convention, and that if the next time he met this person, if he could remember their name, then he could sleep with them. That's one end of the five left. Okay, I could wrap this up, I think. That's one end of the period of intent. He says, well, that guy ended up not staying abstinent. Not surprising, but, you know, hey, you know, that was his period of intent. And my sponsor said there's three categories to it. One is, what is it you want? What is it you really want? Not just what you think you want, what society says you want. What is it you really want out of a relationship? That's the first one. So I had to come up with that. And of course, it, you know, it, it brought up the childhood, the kid who wanted the, the marriage, wanted to be married. That was it. I wanted to be married. The second part of that is what is that going to look like? What is that relationship going to look like? And I had like maybe 10 or 12 things on what I, I'm not going to tell you, but 10 or 12 things on what that was going to look like, what it was going to look like. The third part of this, and this is the most difficult part, is that what am I willing to do differently to make that happen? Because obviously what I was doing wasn't working. So there's things in there like, uh, you know, work the steps, you know, go slow, which of course is one of my sponsor's ideas. It's not one of mine, but I adopted it. <laughs> it made sense. Since I'd never done it, right? And um, and then there was just a whole list of things for that, of what I was willing to do differently and how I was willing to do that differently. And one of them was that I wouldn't jump from one relationship to the next relationship, that I would take time to grieve, which I never done. It wasn't about grieving for me. 
It wasn't about feeling any kind of loss. It's like feel the hole. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? I used women, excuse me, as I did food. And food didn't fill the hole and women didn't fill the hole. But I, but there I was in, you know, still trying to do it. But in OA, I didn't. So I took that year off, another year off, and um, someone asked me out. Obviously, right? Somebody asked me out. And uh, we went out. And um, I don't know, after a couple of months, I asked her if, if we were actually dating or if we were, you know, in, if this was going anywhere. And uh, we, were, we were both kind of shocked, you know, about it. But we had to write. And we wrote about it. And then we came back and we said, you know, there's something here. Let's, let's see if it can go into something else, you know. We both did 10 steps. We both talked to our sponsors and we came up with the idea that there was something there. And I had no idea what she was going to come up with. She could have came up with, no, I don't want to do this. And so writing that 10 step and, and coming back and coming there with her open and saying, okay, I think there's something here, not knowing if she did or not, you know, was scary. But that's what I did. And she told me that she felt the same way and we had a relationship for three and a half years. And for three and a half years, I did not compulsively overeat behind any feelings that came up in that relationship, nor did I starve myself prior to that relationship, nor did I pick up bulimia, you know, after that relationship, the first one broke up. I was able to maintain my abstinence, maintain food plan, maintain my connection with God, um, and... and uh, and be in that relationship for three and a half years. And that sounds really great and wonderful. And it did for me for a while too. But we've been broke up for a couple of years now. And she left. It's her choice. She left. It wasn't really mine. But yet, there's more to it than that. You know, I'm not a victim here. Um, she had a cat and the cat was living with me. I'm allergic to cats, but... It's amazing what love can do, right? And um, one of the things that happened in that relationship was that um, she got sick, and I got afraid, and I wrote and wrote about it and wrote about it and wrote about it and wrote about it, and eventually, um, all the writing did not take away the fear. And uh, instead of leaving, I pushed. And I pushed where I knew it would get her the most, the cat. And I started um, squirting the cat with a water bottle when it would behave like a cat. Didn't have a lot of acceptance around it. I'm going to wrap it up 60 seconds, okay? And I pushed and I pushed and I put aluminum foil all over my house. <laughs> cat hated aluminum foil. And I uh, closed it out of the bedroom Everything. I just did everything I could possibly do to make that cat's life miserable. And I knew that that would help to push her out the door. And it did. That was one of the factors, I'm sure. There were other factors, some that I was pretty much powerless over, and I won't get into them. But um, for a long time after that relationship, I still 
I did not go back to starting or have to get down to any kind of thing like date bait weight. Um, and it's been two years and I have not, over two years, and I have not dated. I've been on one date. Halfway through that, I knew that I wasn't, this wasn't going anywhere and, uh, and it didn't because it wasn't. I've asked, uh, and, and in that over two and a half years, I've actually asked uh, three other women out and they all said no. So, um, and quite frankly, I'm grateful for that. So, I'm going to wrap this. Up. I'm going to wrap up. So, I'm, I'm going to go. Bye. Thanks, Mitch. Um, there's some empty seats. If you all want to fill them in, you're welcome to do that. Um, our second speaker is Suzanne. Let's welcome Suzanne. Hi, my name is Suzanne, and I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. And uh, the reason I can say that I'm grateful today is because I have relationships. And I have relationships that are long-time relationships. Um, one is with my husband. We've been married 37 years. And uh, he's a wonderful man, and I'm a wonderful wife today because of the fellowship. And uh, learning how to do relationships, it wasn't always that way. I was... Uh, Born August 2nd, 1942, into a family of um, alcoholics, and my dad <coughs> incested me for the first five years. So my first relationship was one of trusting and loving somebody <coughs> that couldn't be loved or didn't love or trust. You couldn't trust. But it didn't make me stop being loyal, and it didn't make me stop loving him. I still loved him. And uh, I was daddy's little girl. I had two brothers and sisters, and I was the favorite. <clears throat> and I thought my role in relationships was to entertain. I thought that's what I had to do, was make you laugh. And I used food from the time I was small. And my dad gave it to me to keep me quiet. And he gave me my favorite foods. And, uh, and I ate them, and I stayed quiet. I never talked about it, never shared it until I got in recovery. And I, when I got in recovery, because the, the food had made my life unmanageable, it had made me unlovable to myself, um, I was always on my mind. You know, I always thought about me and what could I get out of everything in every relationship. I, I didn't look at uh, relationships. I just uh, did them. I'm a runner. You know, I wanted to run all the time and run into you know, anything but um, stand still and hurt. And when I came to OA on September 10th, 1981, I uh, started abstaining. And when I started abstaining, I started feeling. And when I started feeling, I started hurting. The very first thing I did was started hurting. And I started, and I've always been a writer. And I, I had my step one, two, three. I did come to love and trust my higher power. I did come to believe in my higher power, and I knew that he was up all night, and I, was, I had to sleep, so I wrote it at, at night to him, and he was going to be up all night so he could worry about these things, and I'd go to sleep. And, uh, you know, I did my fourth and fifth step, and when I did that, my past was my past. Um, what I had done my whole life is I knew what men wanted, so I gave them sex. 
instead of a relationship. It's, I just, you know, that's what they got, and that was the end of that. They're happy, I'm happy, and leave me alone. You know, let me go do my thing. And um, so I didn't really even know what men were about. I found out what men were about in, in, as far as relationship with men and women. I found out what they were about in, in program by talking and listening to men share. And uh, I had, <clears throat> I was told by a guy one night after a meeting, I was talking to him about his relationship with his wife because they just seemed really happy. You know, those happy couples, you see. And here I was at home with my husband, and he's talking to everybody in the world on the hamset. And I'm just, you know, making dinner and taking care of our twins and, and the, my other daughter and, you know, not paying too much attention to my husband at all. Not at all. And... Um, this guy said to me, why don't you try dating your husband? And I said, what do you mean dating him? He says, do you have sex with him? I said, of course. Now, that's not a problem. And he says, well, what is he like? I had no idea what he liked. And um, so we started date night. We started going on dates. And at the very same time, we were having a lot of trouble with my oldest daughter. She was uh, 13 at the time. So the trouble we were having with her, she was turning to her addictions, and uh, we we're trying to help her and she wouldn't let us so we were allowed to talk on date nights it was suggested we could talk about each other our relationship but nothing about the money or the children or you know and just keep it on our work on our relationship together so it was real hard to be out and not focus on the children or not focus on money which is his favorite topic and my favorite topic is children we were just supposed to talk about each other and what our goals were and what we wanted to do when we grew up you know, and uh, you know, and really start loving each other. And it's, I, uh, I have to tell you that my higher power really has a sense of humor. He, uh, he gave me. I am uh, a fireball. I'm a lot of fun. And um, when I married my husband, his grandmother <laughs> said to me, "You're going to marry that dragon." I said, "Yeah, I'll drag it out of him." He's real logical, and I'm real crazy. So you know, we're a real good balance. And uh, in this date night business, we started. I started asking him, you know, to do these adventurous things. And my husband drinks, so I, I, it was Valentine's Day, and we did a scavenger. I, I said to him, I, I'm the lady in red, and he's the man in black. And I put a, told him to take a shower at 5 o'clock, and he was outside talking to the neighbor. So I said, get in the shower. So he got in the shower, and when he was in the shower, I put his black cowboy hat and his black shirt and his black pants and his black shoes. And... There's a, a valentine pie on top of him. I said, you're the man in black. You're looking for the lady in red. And she's at the Central City Broiler in Santa Maria. So he got in the car and he took off, and I'm all dressed in red. And when he got there, the gal gave him a bag and it had a garter. And, and he, it says, you're, you're warm now. She's over at the Santa Maria Inn. So he went there, and the lady said, sit by the fire. And she gave him a bag, and it had a bra in it. And it says, you're hot. She's up at the Hilton. <laughs> So he went up to the Hilton, and when he got to the Hilton, the bartender looks at him and goes, you must be the man in black. <laughs> and he gave him a double, and he went chasing after me, and he got down to Casmania the Hitching Post, and some people were hiding me. And he walked in, and he said to the Mater D, he says, I'm looking for the lady in red. And they, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, I mean, he just started going around table to table. Have you seen the lady in red? You know, asking these people. And finally he saw that they were hiding me, and the people that were, I had been talking to me before I told him the story and they, they wanted to see all this stuff and I and he comes up and he goes are you the lady in red and I said are you the man in black and he said yes and uh, 
So anyway, he parted them, and he, he looked at me, and he says, and I, I said, yes, prove it, like that. So he went out and got all these bags and showed everybody, and he says, he says, what do I get now? And I says, well, dinner and a treat later if you're good, you know, and this stuff. We've had so much fun in our relationship, but it wasn't always that way. There, um, I never knew it was okay to get angry. I had always stuffed my anger. I never, uh, I just didn't. I mean, it was like if there was something to confront, I just walked away and ate, you know, or I'd just call a girlfriend up and complain. But I never, never confronted it. And he had, it was back when they were having energy crisis before, and he was going to buy, buy a bicycle for $1,800, and I was going to need brakes on my car. So I thought the brakes on my car were priority, and he thought the bicycle was priority. So he told me I couldn't get the brakes fixed on my car. <clears throat> and I went to work, and I was at work, and this man came in, and he said to me, he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing. And he says, you're angry. And I said, no, I'm not. He says, yes, you are. I, could, I mean, this guy just came out of the bar next door, so I mean, he's reading my face. And I said, and I started crying. And he says, tell me what's going on. I mean, this stranger. And I said, well, my husband's going to buy a brand new bike, and I've got this car. And he says, well, he says, why doesn't he just take, he says, you have children? And I said, yeah. And he says, you take them in that car. And I said, yeah. And he says, why didn't he just give you a loaded gun? And I mean, the rage that came up in me was just, <sighs> I was so angry. I called my husband on the phone, and I said, you pick me up. And he says, well, you can walk home. And I said, you pick me up. And I hung up the phone. And when he picked me up, I got in the car and I said, you know, I need to talk to you about the bicycle versus my brakes. I need the brakes on my car. And he came home and he slammed the door and he said, I'm not going to talk about it. Because he's a guy that likes to think about it and cool off. And I want to talk about it now. And, you know, let's get this. Let's get. I'm in this fight, damn it. Don't walk away from me. You know, chicken shit. And my head's all that thing. <laughs> you know, and I'm ready. To, I'm ready. I'm Irish and I'm ready to fight. And so... I said, oh, we're talking about it now, and I wouldn't let it go. I mean, it's hanging on like, you know, a cat, excuse me. Anyway, so I'm hanging on, and I, sure enough, you know, he turns around, and he is so mad. He says, I am not going to talk about it. And I said, yes, you are. And then God said to me, what about the kids? And I turned, I stopped, just stopped. It was just like, because my relationship with my higher power is the most important relationship I have bar none. And I just stopped what we were doing, and I just said, Go look. And I went and I looked and my twins were holding each other and just rocking. They were so scared. And I said, uh, are you okay? And they said, no, are you getting a divorce? Because they heard about it. They were only nine years old. They heard about it in school. And they had kids that had divorce. And I said, no. I said, mommy and daddy are fighting. And I said, and daddy's going to kiss me and hug me right now. And, oh, God. I've never had such purse lips in my life. <laughs> like that, you know. And he kissed me and he held me. And, and he says, Oh, and he says, and mom's getting her brakes fixed on Monday, and I'm getting my bicycle on Tuesday. <laughs> and, you know, it was so healthy. It was so healthy. And in that first two years of my abstinence, um, I said to God, if anything comes between me and you, it has to go. And little did I know it was going to be my daughter, that we were going to have to put her out in the streets. And I don't know if sis is in here or not, but... Man, I took it to OA. You know, when I had to let my daughter out into the streets and let go of her, she was out there 25 years. And for 25 years, I sat in meetings. And I used to envy people that would say, you know, my kids are back, and da-da-da, you know, they just go on and on. They go, God, why not me? Why can't this happen to us, you know? But it did happen to us. 
And in the relationships that I started forming in Overeaters Anonymous were my girlfriends. You know, when I found out about the incest, they found out in a dream. I was nine years in the program, and the only reason I'm alive today is because I had to keep the meeting, and I had to open up for you. I had a commitment. I've always had a commitment. I keep commitments in the program. I'm committed to this program. If I die tonight, I'd be abstinent. If I die 20 years from now, I would be abstinent. Because it is the most important thing in the world to me, because I can have a relationship. I can tell you, but I'm the real me. I'm not standing up here pretending that I'm not who I am. I'm not damaged good. You know, I'm sorry that it happened to me, that I had incest. I'm sorry that, you know, I had to put my daughter in the street, but she's back with us now. She came back two years later, two years ago. And when she came back to us, it was after she was in a horrible accident. And it was the women in the program that kept praying for me and thinking and praying with me. And, you know, my relationship with my higher power, my husband and I are both in a church band and we sing and we have a ball and uh, we pray together and we pray before we eat and, and we just love each other and we love our kids. And my kids, um, they, we have a policy in our house. Uh, if you want money, you go to dad. If you want relationship problems, you go to mom. You know, so who's the one that gets all the calls? And who's the one that has to say, uh, it will all, this too shall pass, it will all work out. If God wants you together, you'll be together, you know. It's none of my business, you know, and all those things. And just love them. Oh, that's the other relationships with sponsors. My sponsors, I mean, I can call my sponsor any time, day or night. And I don't mean to say that that has not happened. Because it has. When the pain has been bad for me, I've called her. And she's called me. I Sometimes I think, who sponsors who? And uh, she's... She's been in OA for 33 years, and she's a wonderful woman, and, she, and I absolutely adore Mary. She's wonderful. And um, she and I talk, and we just look like, what's going on? Uh, she called me one time, and she said, Suzanne, I need you to come over. And I said, what for? And she says, I'm going to binge. And I had no idea what overeaters do, <clears throat> you know, behind closed doors. I know what I did, but I had no idea what you guys do. And we went to the restaurant, and she ordered everything on the, the menu there. And I mean, she was, it was like, like a Taco Bell place, you know, where you can order a lot of stuff for cheap. And she ordered and ordered, and she sat down, and I said, can we pray before we eat? You know, because that's what I do, and she doesn't, but I said, I do. So anyway, so I prayed, and, and she sat there, and we started talking, and she, all of a sudden she just stopped eating. And she says, I want you to know, Suzanne, if you hadn't been here and you hadn't cared, I would have finished all this. Thank you for coming. And she said, I want you to be of service like that at all times with people. Just be there for them. And um, she taught me that. And, you know, the women taught me that. And hanging in there with the women. I love and adore women today. I like the men. And I love you in the fact that I want you to be abstinent and I want you to live. But I love the women. And the reason I love the women is I can talk to them heart to heart. I can listen to them. I can be there for them. Now, the relationship I told you about with my dad was a... That was a hard relationship because when uh, I left, I moved from, I got abstinent down in Seal Beach, California, and I moved 16 years ago up to Napomo. And the day that I left, for, they had a, a service at our church, and it's called the farewell service, and everybody, you know, prayed on us. And my sister came up to me, and she said to me, it happened to me too. And I remember just crying, and I said, oh, God, why tell me now I'm leaving? Why tell me now? And she says, because I couldn't tell you before. You know, and I remember just crying all the way back home to my house. You know, and saying, and, and it's, I'm that way. I don't care if the pain happens to me, but I don't want it to happen to you. I just love people so much. So anyway, in this recovery process, my sister is in recovery now too, and um, in this recovery process, 
I've had so much fun and I've had so much pain and I've had so much work that I've had to do, but it was my work. And I'm willing to do my work. And in doing my work, when I got to the, the eighth step, you know, and ninth step, <clears throat> where you make amends, you know, my dad was long gone. He died. Uh, he died of Alzheimer's, alcohol induced. And so um, I didn't know how I was going to do that. Well, when he died, we went to the gravesite, all of those kids in the car, and all the kids in the car were talking about how wonderful my dad was. And all those things were true, too. But I said, just a minute, you guys, stop it. I said, you guys have fantasy land? And I started to tell my truth. And they all wanted to go to Higgy's for chocolate in Ohio. <laughs> so they all had chocolate, and I just told my truth. But I did go to the graveside, and I forgave my dad. And I told him, you know, in the big book it says, the four-step prayer, God save me from being angry. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? And I told him I knew he was sick and he must have done it in a blackout because I don't believe he could have really done that to me. And he always did it at 2 o'clock in the morning. So I kind of believed that. And, uh, and I went to my mother's graveside and I, I told her I forgave her for being an alcoholic and uh, that I loved her and I understood, you know, that she was in pain and didn't know how to deal with it. And so those, you know, the 8th and ninth that really takes care of the 6th and 7th step, that takes care of my relationships. Whenever my panties are in a bunch, you know, with, about what you're doing, it's because my panties don't fit because I'm the one that's getting, you know, reacting to you. And so i got to look at me and see what character defect in me that God needs to remove so that I can get along with you better. Um, I love everybody that's in the program, and my relationship with my sponsor in Santa Maria was so long and so trusting. And every night I would call her at 5 o'clock and I'd do a 10th step with her. And when I would call at 10 at 5 o'clock and I'd do a 10th step with her, she'd be watching the news and she'd be listening, but she'd be listening. I knew she was listening. Because at the end of the day, she said, you're so good. And I would cry and I'd hang up the phone because my dad would tell me, you're no good. And, and I believed that script until my sponsor kept telling me I was good. And I finally one day said, thank you. And I accepted it. You know, it takes me a while to accept love and, and stuff, but I do accept it eventually. And I know I am good. And I know I'm kind. And I know I'm loving. And I know that I, I've forgiven. Um, when I did my... Eight step. I didn't know how I was going to make amends to my dad. I didn't know how to do that because, you know, I did go read the letter to him. But then God told me um, there was a program, and it was um, where people dress up like the doll Raggedy Ann or Andy. Guys become Andys and gals become Raggedy Anns, and we go to convalescent hospitals. So that's what God had me do is I couldn't love my dad, so I could go to the convalescent hospital, and I could be with him. And I have to tell you about Ray. That was my dad's name. I went to the convalescent hospital, and the nurse came up to me, and she said, we have the grouchiest old guy here, and his name is Ray. And the minute she said, Ray, my stomach, like God punched me in the stomach, I got scared. Just fear came over me. And she says, we need, he needs a raggedy end visit. So I went in, and I knocked on the door, and I said, Ray? And he said, what do you want? You know, and I said, it's raggedy Ann. I came to visit you. So he said, come in. So I sat next to him, and he closed his eyes, and he had his hands closed like this and over his stomach. And I said, uh, I just sat there for 15 minutes. And he opened his eye and he goes, you still here? And I said, yeah. And he says, what do you want? And I said, I don't want anything. I just came to visit you. And he said, uh, can you sing? And I said, yes. I was raised in Irish bars. And, and he said, uh, do you know my buddy? And I said, yes. Nights are long since you've been away. I dream about you all through the day, my buddy. And he started crying. Well, well, well. The nurse runs in. She says, Ray, are you okay? And he says, yeah, Raggedy Ann's killing me. <laughs> and I said, Ray, I'm not killing you. You asked me to, to sing. And he goes, 
I know, he says, but it was my wife's favorite song. And I did what I'd do with you. Well, tell me about your wife. And he talked about her for 10 or 15 minutes. And I said, what was her name? And he said, Carol. That was my sister's name. I said, did you have any children? He said, I got a good for nothing son. I said, what's his name? And he says, Ray. That's my brother's name. And so he talks about him. He doesn't come to visit him. You know, and I said, oh, I said, maybe he's real busy. You know, and I just listened to him and, you know, just tried to help him. And then I said, did you have any more children? He said, yes, I have a daughter named Virginia. And that was my mother's name. And I literally thought he was going to go through the whole family, you know, and I thought, oh, my God. But what I did was just cried. Yeah, I cried with him. And I held his hand. He said, Raggedy Ann, promise me you'll come back to see me. And I said, oh, I, I will. And commitments are what we do here. And I, once you say it, you do it. And so the next week, I started praying for him, and I went to the Goodwill, and I saw this polar bear. And I, next week, I came in, and I had behind my back, and he goes, what do you have? I'm waiting for you. And I said, oh, it's, I pulled it out, and I said, it's just like you, all cold on the outside, warm and fuzzy on the inside. And he grabbed it, and he held it by the neck. And he, when it, every week when I'd go to see him, it started changing colors. I mean, it was red, it was orange, it was green, and blue. And I said to the nurse, I said, what's up with that polar bear? She says, Ray will not let go of it. And he hates Jello, so we serve him. He says we serve him Jello, and he feeds it to the polar bear. <laughs> and she says, and it's changing colors just like Ray is. He is the most delightful person in the world. He is wonderful. He lets us bathe him. He talks to us. He says, when's Raggedy Ann coming? He says he looks so forward to your visits. And he's just one of many, many stories I have from being a Raggedy Ann and. Just loving people. When I would call my sponsor and I would say, da 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 da, this kid, da 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 da, my husband, this da 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 da, you know, this, 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 they're doing it, she go, just love them. <laughs> I get up the phone and I go, what's that mean? You know, what's that mean? You know, and it was acceptance. You know, that's page 449 to the new people, page 417. You know, you read that thing and you just start doing it. You do it even when you don't want to do it. You love the unlovable. You. You know, they're acting like turds. You treat them like, you know, they're wonderful turds. You know, you just, <laughs> you don't pay any attention to it. You know, and it's, you know, stuff happens. You know, God, everything happened before we came up here. I got to tell you about Tammy and I because we have a great relationship. We love each other. I sponsor her. We talk all the time and we laugh and we have fun. And, you know, and we do the work and we do the stuff. And I said to her, oh, we're going to convention. She said, yeah, yeah. And I go, and I meditated, and God said, hotel. And I went, hotel, yeah, we're staying at the Dumpery. And I called up for confirmation. Neither one of us had made reservations to stay here. We had no hotel yesterday. So anyway, I, I called her up, and I said, I have to tell you, did you make reservations? She said, no. Didn't you make reservations? And we both got on, and I said, are you mad at me? And she said, no. And I said, I'm not mad at you. And she, I said, well, I'll get on it, because she was at work. So I got on it, and I called. I had been talking to the Double Tree twice yesterday, and they said, no, they didn't have room here. So there was no room at the end, and God said, call. So I called the Double Tree again, and someone canceled, and we got two queen beds, and we are queens. I mean, we like our bedroom. <laughs> And I didn't want to be away from the hotel because I was worried about my knees and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's all about me. But I know that I'm one of God's kids, and, you know, he's going to take care of me, and we both trust that. She kept saying, well, it's going to be okay. I kept saying, it's going to be okay. And we're just, we're so funny. We're so much alike and so different, and, and she's so good for me, just like everybody else. Anybody that's different than me has taught me more than people that are just like me. I love the nasty old sponsor that makes me do things I don't want to do because she's opposite of me and she 
she gets the other side of me to, to grow, nurturing me. Um, I have become the woman I always wanted to be. I have, uh, I have a grandchild, uh, and I, I thought on, when, about relationships, I started to cry because I have a grandchild that's going to be 16 this year. I think he's going to drive, and I haven't seen him since he was nine. You know, and those kind of relationships are really, really hard, but it's still a relationship. And I have grandma. You've doggone right on his grandma. I'm his nana. Nana Angel is what he calls me. And, you know, when he gets big enough to drive, I hope he comes up to see me. You know, I hope he gets to, to be a part of my family, a part of our life. But it's his choice. And I don't, I don't force things. I don't make them happen. I, am, I don't have uh, sex with anybody but my husband. And when I wake up in the morning and I see his butt when I'm on my knees, I go, wow. That's my husband over there. <laughs> you know, not a pretty sight, but I love him. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I'll tell you, one year, and then I'll wrap it up, I, because I am a character. It was Christmas time, and this, he loves this story. It was Christmas time, and he was on me about spending. I'm the spender, right? So I'm out there spending, and he's going crazy. He's saving, and he's, and he's saying, you're doing too much. And so I'd taken a shower first, and I was nude, and he was taking a shower next. And so when I, he got out of the shower, I said, Come here. And he says, what? And I said, I want you to do this. The next time you think about money, I want you to do this. And I started going, zippity doo da you know, jumping up and down, doing jumping jacks new in front of here. <laughs> he started laughing so hard. And he says, oh, my God, you've lost it. You've gone over the edge. You know. <laughs> and I said, just remember that. I said, because I said, I'm going to be me, and you're going to be you. And it's all going to work out, and I love you. And, uh, you know, it's just those funny things. Uh, Laughter is the best medicine. You know, thank God we're all here. You guys are sitting here. You want recovery. I want recovery. You know, I never want to treat myself the way I did before I came here. I never want to be constantly obsessed about myself. Um, you know, when you read the big book, it says, you know, we're, that's what we're full of itself. And when you look in the mirror, do the hard thing that I had to do was get a relationship with myself and say, Suzanne, I love you. And I used to do it and look at this part of my hip. I have a widow speak. I'd look at that. I love you. You know, I'd run away. And then the next thing I do, I'd start eye contact. I love you. And I run away. And then I started loving my arms and my thighs and my knees. And when I had them replaced, I was so grateful they worked. And the doctor says, you know, that lady, we're not going to slow her down anyway, so we might as well do a good job on her knees. And I just love this program. I, lo- I love women and men in the program, and I'm here because I'm not all there. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne. Um, I'll now draw some questions from the Ask It basket, so could someone pass that basket forward? So we'll do this for about 15 minutes. <laughs> How do you develop a healthy relationship with someone of the opposite sex that is based on pure love and not on power and manipulation? I, I got the cue. She looked at me. I guess she wanted me to answer that one. Um, I really think that the first thing, and I didn't really talk about this in my share, that we all need to do 
um, is to love ourselves first and to be content with who we are. And then from there, um, there won't be a lot of need for control of another human being. Um, especially once we discover, too, also that we're, that, um, we're really powerless. And um, control is only an illusion. Uh, it's not real. And um, it's something that's done. I, I believe it's something because we don't feel safe. And it's just coming from a place of fear and uh, dysfunction. So, anyway, oh. <laughs> Were you done? I hope so. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the other half of that, and that was manipulation. <laughs> and that part, the reason I wanted to talk about it was, I remember trying to manipulate my husband, and he said to me, Suzanne, quit banging your spoon. <laughs> so you know what I was doing, acting like I was three again, take care of me. Thank you. Does the love of your higher power help you to feel lovable and okay just as you are? The concept of, as we know, the concept of a higher power is different for just about every one of us. Um, There is no way that I could be up here today talking to you the way that I did and the way that I am and the way that I present myself, for the most part, to the people around me without the love of a higher power or love, which is my higher power. Um, it is the thing that I have seen that has restored me to sanity and continues to restore me to sanity. I remember um, talking to my sponsor about this subject and I said, I said, all I really want to have for people is love. I don't want to have anger or fear or to be closed. I just want to be an instrument of love. And he said, why? And I said, because that's the direction I'm moving in and that's where I want to be and I want to go there. There was no other reason other than to just do that. And um, without that, I can't have a relationship it's something else for me. What are your thoughts on fear of relationships due to past hurt or heartbreak? How do we deal with the fact that people in life are changeable and not predictable? Well, for me, I just have healthy boundaries. Try to have healthy boundaries with myself and trust people until they prove untrustworthy. And I'm very cautious today, you know, and and I wait a while. I don't jump in, you know, with all like I used to. So I just the change has to be within me, but I do trust and I do wait and see what God you know, what God's doing with it and I listen. I just really listen for the divine order in it thinks. What do you do if you're married to someone you have no chemistry with? Never been married. How has your relationships changed since being in recovery? Do you say no often 
or set boundaries. Well, I think I just started with that one. Yeah, saying no. Uh, say what you mean, don't say it mean. You know, and, and be sure that check your motives. You know, when you're going to don't be quick to say no and don't be quick to say yes. Uh, just know that I, in the morning, one of my prayers is always, if I can't help somebody, don't let me harm them. And uh, the other thing is, uh, that's all I can remember about that. Thanks. My head went blank. Oh, well, When you say no, you are saying yes to something else. You need to look at what that yes is and make sure that's what you really want. Uh, this one says, thank you for your openness and honesty. You helped me today. How do you build a program to support yourself and your relationship? How is it different from taking care of yourself alone? How do you build a program to support yourself and your relationship? How is it different from taking care of yourself alone? Well, together we can. <clears throat> That's, you know, I never, before a program, I never asked for help. I thought I knew everything. And when I try to do something alone, I used to get myself in trouble. My best thinking got me here, so I'm better off if I use your thinking, you know, to help me with, you know, everything. You know, what to do next, the next indicated thing to do, run it by somebody. I can't do it alone. I'm so grateful that I know, because um, that's isolation to me. Thanks. How do you navigate being an OA with a non-12-step person? Any ideas? <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> what I do is my own business. It's my program. It's uh, our program. It's the program, and I just work it. Um, I am the only big book they'll ever read, maybe. Uh, I am a living example. Um, you want to know if I'm in 12 steps? Spend the weekend with me. You know, because I, I do do this no matter what, no matter if anybody else does it or what they're doing. That is none of my business. Um, I have a lot of family members, and like I say, the only people in my immediate family that are in program is me. You know, just and my sister, she's down Riverside, and my brother is in South Carolina. He is in program. So there's three of us, but we're all spread out. So we all have to do, do the deal alone in our homes. And... Um, practice these principles in all your affairs because my affairs are at home. Thank you. What tools have you found helpful in getting past the fear and truly seeking the romantic intimacy you desire? Oh, I don't have my glasses either. I think I touched upon this when I, when I was talking in my share, and the, the greatest the greatest tool that ever got me um, beyond that was the tenth step that I was talking about. Um, I had I would not have been capable of being in that relationship for three and a half years without the tenth step and uh, and a food plan. Um, 
I just couldn't have done it. And those are the those are the tools. Those are the two big tools. Um, OA has given me the, the foundation and the work and the, the ability through the tools of the steps, especially the 10th step, to look at my behavior and to see that I want to do things differently and gives me a way of, of doing things differently. Um, so... question about tools for relationships. Right. Tools. For, oh, the tools I use for relationships is basically, first of all, it comes up with me first, my side of the street. I work on my side of the street. I talk to my sponsor. I run it by her, and then I confront it by communicating it. Um, I went to the doctor, for instance, and the doctor wanted to give me, because my husband and I aren't having sex. <laughs> I'm 65 years old, going on 66, and he has a problem with his medication and the way he is, so we're not. So I was just really having a, I'm, I'm a sexual human being, so I just thought, you know, I need to have this. This has to happen. And I just got more and more fear about it. If I say anything, he'll leave me, you know, oh, God. Da, da, da. So I went to the doctor, and she immediately says, well, I'm going to give you antidepressants. You sound like you're antidepressant. I said, oh, no, you're not giving me anything. I'm going to work my program. So I went out of there and ran it by my sponsor, and, and she said, uh, just talk to him. So I said, okay, so. That's what I did. I uh, I talked to him about it, and I, I told him, I said, what I really want and what I really need, because I didn't sign up for no affection, you know. And, and so we worked it out. We compromised. We work it out. We hold each other, and we talk to each other. We're there for each other. Men are very sexy running the vacuum cleaner, so I want you guys to know that. Or <laughs> cleaning the windows, you know, and cleaning, woo, <laughs> what's happened to me? <laughs> so a lot of those things are really good for me, <laughs> you know, because I still, my husband, when I look at his eyes, my stomach still flips. I adore this man after 37 years, and I want to be with him till I die, you know, and I hope we do get to be together till we die. And, um, you know, it's just what I do. That's what I do. If I work these tools, go ahead and feel those feelings because they're, they're scary. And go ahead and walk through the pain and, and confront it. Thank you. How do you draw the line between accepting other people for who they are and setting your own boundaries? How do the two work together? When you know television is a trigger, how do you deal with a spouse who wants to have dinner in front of the television? Eating together in front of the TV has become a routine. Well, we at our house, we have a policy, you know, we we do it um, my way. I make the dinner, <laughs> you know, and I work real hard at making him happy. And I like to eat at 7 o'clock because, you know, the dinner, the kitchen's closed after 7. So I, you know, I say to him, I'd like to eat at 7. This week he said, no, he says, we're, I want, I'm tired. He came in at 6.30, worked late. 
So he said 7.30, so we compromised. But then we sat down and we ate dinner sitting across from each other and, you know, just ate dinner together and without the TV. Then there's other nights at 7 o'clock he's rented a video or something like that. So it's working it out. So, you know, both of us, he didn't have to always do it my way, even though I prepared the dinner. He bought, he bought the dinner, you know, so I got to really think about that. And, and I work too, but anyway, he bought the dinner. And just work it out, you know, and talk it through and, and see what you both like and compromise. You know, it doesn't always have to be... Just tell them how you feel about you know when you're eating in front of the TV. I don't I don't feel like you're connecting with me. Connection is real important for me. I like to connect with people because that feels loving and nurturing to me. So I think that's what it's about. Thanks. Um, I don't have a problem with um, watching television and uh, eating at the same time as other people do in this fellowship. Um, um, but I struggle with the idea because, you know, you get the impression that it's not the right thing to do. So you, you have to really look at that. Is it a problem? Or is it just a, is it just a problem you made up because of what other people say or think? If it is a problem, then change it, do something different. The question we had before was, how do you draw the line between accepting other people for who they are and setting your own boundaries? How do the two work together? Um, If you're not accepting um, where you're at or where they're at, you're not accepting reality. You're in some kind of illusion or fantasy that you're in an argument with yourself that's not going to get solved. Acceptance, as it says in the big book, and those who know me would find that quite funny, um, acceptance is is the key, is the answer to all my problems. And that is so true. So true. Now, the two part of this question with the boundaries um, and how do they work together um, I really believe if you have the real deep acceptance if you don't have it then you're drawing a line and a boundary so now we wrap it up we have 60 seconds you want to say anything on this? well I think in uh the line is that my husband and I, because we're both married, we both have the same thing that we know about each other, and that he puts God first, himself second, and then me third. I put God first, me second, and then my husband third. And God's in the middle, and he'll work it out with us, and we just need to pray about it and, and just wait until the right answer comes. Um, you know, it says in the big book, that's one of the promises. It'll come. If you keep cleaning your side of the street in your in your house, if your house is in order, the answers will come. So that's the boundary to set. Use the big book and the tools are in there. The big book is about relationships. The whole thing is about relationships. Dr. Bob and Bill started this, the whole thing. And so I think that's why I set my own boundaries. Is I just keep working on me. Thanks. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers, Mitch and Suzanne.
stand and join hands as we close. And we're going to uh, say the OA's promise, I put my hand in yours. <laughs>